0: Oates and her husband, Nathan, lost their son, Hosea, less than a month after his birth. This devastating loss created an inevitable ripple effect that led to additional near losses. Through enduring the grueling healing process over the past decade, she and her family emerged on the other side of grief, stronger as individuals and also as a unit. Fifteen years ago, your family experienced an unexpected loss. Will you share what happened and then what your approach for processing
1: this loss was? Absolutely. Yeah. 15 years ago, um, unexpectedly, our infant son passed away in his crib. It was a normal day like any other day. And But that evening, when I went in to check on him to wake him up from his evening nap, um, I found him face down in a bed that was actually recalled six months later. And so cause of death was given as SIDS. And that's what I said for years, but probably over 10 years of really processing it out. That was part of my journey was really getting to the place of being honest about what I knew his cause of death was and that he had actually suffocated in his bed face down. He was unable to get out of the crack in the middle of the bed. And it's been a long journey of processing and working through and a lot of healing and a lot of growth to get on the other side of it.
0: What were some of the first steps you took to start processing this unexpected loss?
1: Immediately, my husband and I went into counseling. And while therapy and counseling was so helpful and has been a part of my journey for the last 15 years... I also found coaches along the way. I found some retreats. We, we did all sorts of different workshops and retreats together and individually to continue to heal.
0: And as you took steps toward healing, can you paint a picture of what a typical day looked like for you during that time? Because you also had two children who were so young at the time that needed their parents to care for them.
1: I would probably say it is inaccurate to say I was felt like I was even taking steps towards healing in those days after. I think I was more in a place of just surviving, having an unexpected loss. And I had a three-year-old and an 18-month-old at that point. So I had three children under the age of three when our son was born and when he passed away. And so... It was just daily survival to make sure they were fed, taken care of. The tools that we have when loss hits is all we have. It's not like we've been handed a playbook or told, hey, this is going to happen on this date at this time. Make sure you're fully prepared for it. So it was (laughs) just so unprepared and so untooled. Along the way, it was my kids and seeing my lack of emotional capacity for them, seeing how little I really had to give, that really propelled me. It took about two years, but it really propelled me to go headlong after healing and growth and trying to find my way forward. And I think there was a lot of fear for me around, does moving forward mean I'm forgetting, doesn't mean I'm leaving him behind. And yet I also knew to not move forward, I would die. I couldn't stay in this place of survival any longer. Mm -hmm. My kids were suffering because of it. My spouse was suffering because of it and I needed to find my way forward. So it was a grueling process. It was painful, it was a long journey. It felt like a long journey to get to that place of really Mm -hmm. saying, okay, it's time. I mean, we did little things along the way. Like I said, with counseling in that two year period for me, that was just such a dark time. I tried to journal, I just, I really externalized so many of my emotions onto paper. There would be days where I would just close my eyes and I'm a fast typer, I'd close my eyes and just type with my eyes closed. And so I would just journal pages and pages through typing. That was an excellent exercise for me to just get it out. And I'm grateful that I have all that, but I didn't have a lot of the tools being put back in and deposited to help me really navigate the loss at that time.
0: And it's also, it was like you said too, We're not prepared for this. It's not like you were armed with everything you needed to process this. You had to learn that along the way.
1: We bring in some of those things from our family of origin, whether it's Certain feelings are off limits, or we don't talk about hard things. And so when tragedy hits, that's your paradigm. That's what you know. That's what you've observed and seen from your childhood and maybe your young adult years. And so that's what I carried with me. So it just felt like there were certain emotions that were kind of landmines that I was trying to dance around and didn't even have language or words for. And then when you have a spouse also who's doing the same thing because of his family of origin and how he was raised, it can create a recipe for disaster, but also a really beautiful thing as you both begin to lean into how hard it is, the hard process of grieving and individually as well as grieving together.
0: And of course, you can't fully speak for Nathan's experiences. But from what you observed, how is he processing the loss
1: of your son differently than you were? He processed the loss very differently because he had a job that before Hosea passed away, he was working 60, 70 hours a week, and he was gone five nights a week. And so one of the things that he had to really process is that he anticipated having a lifetime with our son. He didn't expect one month later for him to not be there. And so the amount of guilt and shame that he had to process over not being there. And it was so tragic to realize that the only month of his life, he'd missed a lot of it. So his way of processing was kind of to throw himself back into work and to keep going in that way. And he was at a very more high profile job. He was needed to be on stage speaking, communicating again, So it just felt like he had a tiny blip to try to work through it all and to get it together, pull up his bootstraps and just keep going. And that was really difficult. We didn't realize how difficult it was until over a decade later, when if you bury emotion, if you bury what you're feeling and you bury grief, it comes out sideways later. And that was the price of really not doing the work early on, not processing it. And Sure, he cried. Mm -hmm. He wasn't afraid to show emotions. And we cried, wailed. I mean, we did it all. But we didn't know how to have the real, vulnerable, honest conversations and how to move forward together. So it was just like, we just got to a place where both of us, I think, were just so tired of being sad and so tired of crying we just needed something in our life to be happy again. We just needed something. And for both of us, that really became business, something we could throw ourselves into to build and to grow and to create something positive that could serve people and find our way out of the pit of what felt like never ending sadness and darkness.
0: Yeah, that's something I found amazing too. You were building businesses together.
1: What was that dynamic like? That's an interesting part of our story because the loss of Hosea was a ripple effect of losses. And so many people think the initial loss is all there is. And whatever anybody's loss is, there's typically like, if you look at like you throw a rock in a pond and then there's all these rings and ripples that come off of it, that's what almost always happens with any loss. And so there was secondary losses, micro losses from this major macro loss. And the kids, the cost to the kids, as well as jobs. So he ended up losing that job. We moved our whole family from West Palm Beach to Nashville, Tennessee, and we were there for about 16 months at a new job. And then in 2008, that's when the market crashed. And so he lost that job as well. And so he was going through his own journey of just feeling inadequate, feeling less than as a man, He had that whole dynamic kind of silently going on that I didn't realize was happening of just him feeling all that. And it really propelled us both to just stop and look at what we were doing. And if the life that we were living was the one that we wanted, it wasn't. And there was things that we desired. We desired to work for ourselves. We desired to be with our family more And that is how our entrepreneurial journey started. I had been an entrepreneur since I was 19. In college, I started a business in my dorm room and I'd had the side business all throughout the years of him working, but it was more of a side hustle for me because I was raising kids at home. This was a perfect opportunity for us to really step into something together, join forces. We had a lot of energy together. And so it was a really positive thing for us. It really did help us to get our eyes on something other than, again, our pain and just how hard daily life felt at that time.
0: So we were talking about how you just walked out of one of the darkest seasons of your life. Take us through what happened because this experience was an opportunity for you both to make the decision to face loss and grief in ways you hadn't before.
1: Yes, exactly. So more recently in the last couple of years, I began to be really honest with myself about where our life was at, where our relationship was at. Specifically in my marriage, what I had dreamed of and longed for was a partner somebody who really, truly wanted to show up to life together with me, with all its messiness, with all its hard and ugliness. And I think, again, whenever you go through loss so young, I was 25, Nathan was 29, As he shut down a little bit more and continued to kind of shut down those parts of himself and his heart, the disconnect between the two of us grew because for me, the way that I not only survived it, but really learned to thrive in it was becoming more clear on who I was, getting stronger and growing. And so that gap just continued to widen for us. It came to a head where we went through a season of separation for 18 months You know, I didn't know when we separated, it would be 18 months. We got all the way down to divorce filed, negotiated and signed. So for all intents and purposes, we basically divorced. And then he proposed to me again and we dated. It has been an amazing journey of restoration because what that separation and honesty and that time created for us was an invitation to change our dance steps. I knew I didn't wanna keep dancing the same way. I was unwilling any longer to do life the way that we had learned to do it on autopilot. Mm -hmm. I wanted so much more and I believed it was possible And I didn't want to check out and throw in the towel. The separation was for the purpose of creating a new invitation. Do you want to keep dancing the same way? And if so, I'm not sure I want to stay in this dance. But if you want to begin to change your dance steps too, I'm here. I'm just not dancing that way any longer. And I'm grateful to say that after one dance step change after another, we both learned to show up and dance differently together. What were your beliefs about
0: marriage and or divorce? And did those beliefs carry you through what you and Nathan went through? And
1: also, did your beliefs change during
0: that process?
1: That's a great question, Estella. I grew up very firmly believing divorce is wrong. There's only really one or two instances where you could ever even consider and contemplate that. When it came down to it for me, I realized I had lived in a marriage where I had been neglected. I've been married almost 20 years, and when somebody is so disconnected and distant, even our kids would say it was like having a ghost in our home. There was a time where I said to Nathan, I would rather be truly alone than live every day lonely with you in in the house. And so while we were out crushing it in businesses, we were incredible business partners and could do all these amazing things. Those things became a cover-up and a mask, not intentionally, it just was. It was our livelihood. It's how we did it. I knew nothing else other than to just keep going and keep trying to make the changes or hope things would change or get fixed. But when it came to the point of, if I keep doing the same things, I'll keep getting the same results... That is the definition of insanity. And I felt crazy. And so I knew I had to take the risk of even separating. And I was terrified of backlash of how I would be perceived. I was terrified of our businesses going under because it was always Nathan and Jenny. It was all, it was Healthy Oats Incorporated. There was such a we aspect to everything that we did. We would built a fitness business together. We built this network marketing business together. We built it twice together. So to do everything together, there were so many fears, even down to the beliefs around, can I still be used and have a purpose and matter if this is my story? If my story ends in divorce, if it's not for one of these specific reasons I've been told, Where does that leave me? And so I had to really wrestle with that and grapple with that. And at the end of the day, I realized that my belief system did change a little bit in the sense of, I don't not believe that God is for marriage, but what I do know is that he died for the individual. He did not die for a unit. He did not die for a marriage. He came to love individuals and he cares about each person in the equation. Where so much of marriage talk becomes all about we, we, we we lose the me. We lose that individual person in the midst of the we. And so it was a incredibly healing journey for me to realize that Jesus actually loves me, not my marriage, that he wasn't gonna be angry and hold this against me for the rest of my life and my life was over because that's almost saying the only way that I can be worth anything is to be married. And I lived with so many of those beliefs that this gave me an invitation to wrestle with, which I'm so grateful. One of my good friends says, the blessings and the wrestling. And where I used to just try to get out of the wrestle, I hated it. I didn't like wrestling. I want to know. You know, we live in such a society that we just want to know. Give me the answer. Tell me what to do. This process for me was about the wrestle and being okay with not knowing and not having all the answers and not being able to say this is my exact belief. It was like this is where I'm at today and I am wrestling through with it. And I felt like my role was to stay open. My heart never was closed and just like, I'm done. I'm out. I was done with certain things and got very clear on what those things were. And I created non-negotiables for myself that weren't even communicated. They just became pillars that I began living by. These are the things I will choose to be no matter my marital status. And why did I never do this before? (laughs) Because I was constantly looking to my marriage to make me something. So there was just such a process for me of really becoming autonomous and individual in a healthy way so that when we came back together as a we, we were two individual me's, two healthy whole individuals. Marriage is the only place where two halves do not equal a whole. And we have been sold such a lie, even in Hollywood and the songs that we sing that you complete me That is the most unhealthy dynamic (laughs) ever. Like somebody else can't complete me. I had to learn. I had to go on a journey to find my completeness and my separateness and my autonomy outside of another individual. What they thought of me, how they were with me. I defined all of that. So, And Nathan had to do the same thing. And because he chose to do that hard work, which I'm so grateful because so many men don't they bail, they run. It's just too much for them. And he did it. Like He really did it. And we're still on the journey, but I'm so proud of him. I'm proud of me and I'm proud of what we've really done together. That's really, truly incredible. And just your courage,
0: because you mentioned before, people talk about how important it is to choose to save the marriage over themselves. And it's almost like if you don't do that, you get judged for it. Mm -hmm. But you decided ultimately to choose you over the marriage and you
1: decided to work toward healing you there was times where people would say, fight for your marriage. And to be very true to who I was in that moment and what God was doing in me, I just said, I am fighting for my marriage. My fight just looks different. And we have to be really careful. I think sometimes we project what we think something needs to look like onto somebody else's situation. Because I mean, you think about Moses is supposed to stand still. God's going to fight for you. And then the next thing is, now put your staff in and the water will part. There's times where our fight is standing still. And there's times when our fight is moving. There's times when our fight is sitting down and letting somebody else stand up. And there's times where we're the one to stand up. And in this moment, Part of the way that we went so sideways was I was the one standing up. I was the one going first. I was the one leading and I was dragging him. Not that he was resistant, but I was really leading the way and pushing him to be something that he didn't want to be that day. And by me stepping back and just letting him be who he was and letting him decide who he wanted to be, who he was committed to be, it allowed him for the first time in his life to make those decisions apart from me. Even at the end of the day, I knew things had shifted when I knew it had nothing to do with me. I knew that Nathan was now committed to be this person because he so desperately wanted it for himself. No longer was it about trying to win his marriage back or save his marriage or get his kids back. And that's, I think again, the message that we hear so much is save your marriage, win her back. And it's like, what wins her back is when he wins himself and vice versa. When we can do it for ourselves first, it's like a magnet. It attracts the other person back because they now know that your motive isn't just to get them back. And then it all goes back to normal. Yeah. It's so powerful when you show up for
0: yourself and not for anybody else and not for what society says you should or shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Was there a defining moment for you as far as the marriage or maybe something you both experienced together where you not only recognized but accepted that change needed to happen even if you didn't know how it would all play out and what the end result would be?
1: Yeah, there were two defining moments for me that I would say on my side. And Nathan has told me his defining moment as well, so I can share that. But what really defined the need for change for me was even before we separated, it was almost a year prior I had the opportunity to go to Israel with a group of 40 people, with a woman who I dearly love and had learned so much from her. And in Israel, we had had an epic day in Galilee, traveling all over. And I had just had this deep loneliness all day. It's amazing how we can be in a crowd and with people and yet feel so alone. I didn't know what the feeling was. It was just heavy. It was sad and it was lonely. The day ended with a sunset boat ride across the Galilee, and we had the opportunity to get out of the water and walk on the shore and get in. And the moment I stepped foot into the water, I had this vision, and I don't have these experiences often. It just happened. I saw the Twin Towers, and they were on fire, and it was burning to the ground. And I literally heard a voice say, this is your marriage, and I'm taking it down so that I can rebuild it into something new. And I just sat there and wept because I already knew. I already knew it was on fire. I already knew it was burning, <laughs> I knew it was coming down. I had just done so many things to prop it up, to make it be what I needed it to be so that I didn't have to make a hard decision. I knew Nathan wasn't going to make the hard decision. He was comfortable. He was okay with where it was at. He really wasn't. If you ask him now, he was not okay. He was just equally as terrified to make any sort of decision. And even by way of getting healthy, he just didn't know what to do. And I knew the only thing left for me to do was to create some space and some separation. So that was all almost eight months prior to when I finally got the courage to do it. And so it was a defining moment for me the day that I told him it was terrifying. But to be able to stand in that first step of what was needed and wanted for me in that moment, without reneging, without backpedaling, without justifying and defending all of these things we do in our fear, in our shame, because we're scared I just didn't do any of that. It was the first time. And he said that moment was terrifying for him because he'd never seen me so confident so calm. There was no anger because anger, the healthy side of anger is passion. It's telling us what we want and what we long for and how wrong things are. It is the emotion of movement and it gets us into action. And up until then, I'd had a whole lot of anger that at times did come out sideways, but it was just gone. I knew I no longer needed to be angry to fight. I laid down my anger, laid down the fight and decided it was his turn to decide if he wanted to fight. And he said that was so terrifying because he didn't know if he had it in him. And his defining moment probably came six months later, we were separated and he had some various things that went on where it came down to this really isn't changing. And when I filed for divorce and talked to him about that with a counselor present, he said it was the defining moment for him. It was like, okay, it's time to stop messing around. It's time to stop playing because he'd been doing things. He'd been dabbling, but it was still in his mind I'm just going to let this run its course. It's a phase. It's all her fault, you know. He was just doing all the self-protective things to get through it and to cope. And he finally just said, "I'm ready to do the work for me." From that moment on, I did start to see some real seeds that planted and that we could see sprout and grow later. And in myself too, it was such a defining moment for me. You asked a minute ago about my view on marriage and did it change and all of that. These steps for me of, okay, I'm going to tell him I need to separate okay, I'm actually filing for divorce, okay, I'm going to tell him I'm filing for divorce, okay, I'm going to move on this. Those were defining moments for me because I had to wrestle so much to get to that moment. I had to resolve so much stuff in my heart between me and God to have a peace to be able to do that. I'm not the type of person that I can just like do it and then be like, okay, I'll figure it out on the back end. It's all going to work out. I had to go through so many tears, so many nights in the fetal position, trying to just get to the place of what is wanted and needed for this moment. And then the second side of that was nothing's permanent. Nothing's final. I can say this and tomorrow I can change my mind (laughs) or I can do this and we can follow through all the way to the end and something can shift. I held on to that vision of the burning tower and the promise that I would have new. And what I knew in my heart was God told me I'd have new. What I didn't know was Is new going to be this side of marriage or this side of divorce with Nathan? Is new going to be the back side of divorce with Nathan? Or is new going to be the back side of divorce with somebody else? And that's terrifying to even say, for especially the way that I was raised, all that I knew of marriage, it felt like I was quitting. It felt like, how can I even be thinking these things? But the truth was, is all I had to hold on to was you're going to have new. I don't know what that looks like. I'm going to let go of absolute control and just let this thing play out. Take one day at a time show up for me and start changing dance steps. And part of that was those hard steps that I took that created a wrestle for Nathan too, for him to go, what do I believe about this? And am I okay with this? And (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it was hard for both of us.
0: I like the point you bring up about other people's beliefs being projected onto us.
1: Yeah, and we don't have to take ownership of changing their beliefs. You know, somebody can come to me and say, What I think you're doing is really wrong. And I can say, Thank you so much for that feedback. Thank you for your thoughts. And I'm going to really chew on that and think about it. And at the end of the day, I can release them to have their thoughts, their opinions, their beliefs, and I can also have my own. Whereas before, even before going through this marriage journey, I would have been so distraught if people didn't agree with me or think that I was doing the right thing. I was so worried about people's perception of me. And so I lived trying to manage and control that down to dismissing what I really wanted to do or what I really wanted to say or what I knew was right in my gut and in my spirit. Like I knew the right thing, and yet I was allowing other people's projected beliefs and opinions to change it. So there's obviously wisdom and a multitude of counselors, but. There's also a place where we have to just get quiet and we have to know what's the right next step for us because only we know ultimately. And other people can give advice, but it's going to be jaded through their lens, through their belief systems, through their upbringings, the things they've wrestled with or not wrestled with. And so for me, I had way more respect for the advice coming to me when I knew somebody had been in the arena, digging it out, trying to wrestle and grapple with something. And they had thoughts and feedback for me. That's another thing as we think about advising and giving feedback to other people, knowing one, it is coming from our very limited experience and jaded lens of life, as well as have we really wrestled with this? Have we gone through something that gives us some authority here to even speak into this? I want to talk about your kids for a
0: minute. People have different beliefs and ways of trying to protect their children from the grief, anger, and sadness that they're feeling. What was your stance on this with regards to what was
1: happening with your marriage? Did you try to shield what was happening from them or were you open with them? we were extremely open with them. And we did family counseling with all five of us. We did individual counseling with each individual. And just the way we daily lived life was we gave each other permission to emote and to feel and to be okay with it. And that spoke to a lot of the work that I had done because up until then, there had been so much control. We can control down to controlling and managing other people's feelings because we're not okay if they're not okay with us. So if my kids are angry and upset at the choice I've made, or they're angry and upset at Nathan, our bad patterns, even as parents, we would jump in and try to control and manage them by ways of at times shutting it down. And this can turn into reframing or even gaslighting. So much of our growth in this time was not running from it and not trying to reframe our kids' reality, being very honest about this is reality. And I think it goes all the way back to our conversation about Hosea, because I didn't do that then. I didn't try to hide my tears. My kids were little. They saw me cry. But as time went on, it almost got to the place where it felt like this shouldn't hurt so bad. This shouldn't be impacting me this way. And I would just should all over myself all the time to dismiss my own feelings. And so If they had any feelings, which my oldest definitely did and processed it extremely differently than her sister did because she was older and she saw it and it was a traumatic moment for her. And so what was not given to them as a gift then fast forward, going through one of the second hardest things I've ever gone through, because now I would almost say it was harder too, because they're older and they're so aware it's the feeling of we've already lost so much and here we are again. Like, how are we at this place again where it feels like we're potentially losing another family member? And I don't want this. I don't want this to be my reality. And I know he didn't want that to be the reality. We just didn't, again, know fully what was going on and it took time to really get underneath it. But by way of our kids, I felt like we could give them the gift of honest space to feel. And what does that look like on a daily basis? It's hell. It's easy to say it here in a conversation with you, Estella, but it is a thousand times harder to go to bed at night as a mom and know your kid is upstairs bawling her eyes out and you've done all you can to comfort and then she's angry at you or he's angry at you and you can't fix it. You can't just insert yourself and reframe it and make it prettier than it is because it's ugly. And so letting them process it themselves was hell and it was hard and it cost everybody in that year, year and a half. It affected kids in basketball games and track meets and their grades. I couldn't even fix that. I just had to let it be their story and let them decide how they wanted to show up for their story. Because I knew if I took that on, first of all, I would die. I could not take on anything else. I could only be there for them, to comfort them, to love them, make them the same. But I also knew that if I shut it down, it would be something that would take so, so much longer to heal from. So we were both very upfront and honest with them about some of the struggles, even in our marriage. I want to go back to something. One of the turning points for me was one day I was in the kitchen. Our girls were talking and, you know, they're 16 and 18. And one's talking about how she doesn't want to date anybody. Boys are scary and I don't want to date. And the other one's like, oh my gosh, I just want a boyfriend so bad. Like they were two totally opposite extremes and had such different longings in their heart. And I just sat there watching them, going, why did they have those beliefs and those perspectives? Neither is wrong. You know, they're teenagers. It's it's just where they're at. But it just hit me, wow, what they have been watching and seeing is shaping their view of what's gonna be their marriage one day and who they're gonna date. And so how can I do something now that can maybe give them a chance to reframe this in a healthy way? That was before separation and it really pushed me to go I'm willing to go all in and do the hard thing to give everybody a shot at living life differently They can still choose what they want to do with this whole hard thing and never learn from or to grow from it But it can create a new opportunity for them
0: I think that's so powerful too, especially because they're still forming their beliefs I think that was really powerful to share openly but not to project your own anger and the sadness and everything onto them
1: not at all. And you know, I hurt so bad for families that walk through this because again, it's almost like its own tragedy that there's no playbook. My tendency that was part of our bad cycle was I would rescue constantly. It's like if the kids are upset with Nathan about something, my tendency was to jump in and to want to rescue him And be like, no, 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 I don't think he meant it that way. I don't think that's what he intended. And in this situation, the kids started to call me on it. And they were just like, Mom, I feel like you don't even wanna hear what we have to say. And I feel so unloved when you do that. And it just was like Whoa, I do do that a lot, don't I? Because I'm so afraid for them to have a bad perspective of him or to not like him. Like I want our family to be back together. And so I'm going to control them to make sure that they don't see him in this bad light. instead of I just had to back off they were angry at him. They went through a phase of so angry at me. And it was like, I just can't control any of it. I love you all. I'm just going to let you process through. And my only job is to make sure I'm not dogging him or putting him down, but also equally not gaslighting what they're feeling. That might be a real experience. And I think the key to that is not making what our kids feel mean anything about me. I can just listen and hold it and contain it for them and go, oh, I'm so sorry that you had that experience with your dad instead of being like, yeah, I totally agree. Like I have the same thing or whatever. And he could do the vice versa. That's the crazy thing about a family or a marriage is sometimes it gets so lumped as a unit. And yes, as a unit, we have a system. As a marriage, we have a system and a pattern and a cycle that we operate out of, but it's made up of the individuals. This is what helped us to heal even as a family and is still helping us to heal is we each stay in our own lane. So now if Nathan is having a conflict with Eden, instead of me jumping in and trying to help at all or offer perspective or advice or feedback, I'm like, you know what? That is theirs to work out. I'm gonna stay in my lane and I'm gonna let them figure it out. And if she comes to me and she's angry, I'll just say, I'm so sorry. Have you talked to him about that? It's pushing her back to that lane instead of me jumping in. And so that was something that I was very committed to because I did not want to do further damage. And I can guarantee you, I did not do it well all the time, (laughs) but (laughs) I was definitely committed to it and worked towards it. And I can see how on the backside, it has helped the healing process. And you also bring up a good point,
0: especially as women, we try to keep it all together. You have to have all the plates spinning all the time we have this need to try to fix things or try to control things. And all this doing ultimately leads to another loss, your sense of self. Did you go through this experience where you
1: woke up and realized you didn't recognize who you were anymore as an individual? Yes, I did. And it's really what led me to separate because the day that we separated, I didn't say, Nathan, you're this, 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 and this, and you are so bad. And that's why I need space from you. It was, there are some things that I can't figure out about myself. And there is a whole lot that's sideways with us, but I need space to figure me out. I don't know how you're going to steward this time, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find me because I have lost me somewhere along the way. And I think that's a huge part of our problem. I've got to go find me. And in the process, I was hoping he'd do the same. Nathan's an identical twin. So from the moment he was conceived, he has always been very connected to another person. And so, you know, enmeshment can happen. And same for me. I just I think we both came together needing another person to prop us up so that we could be okay. Mine looked different than his. I'm not a twin. However, I had learned there were certain things about me that I felt like I'm not as confident or not as comfortable unless he's with me. And so there was just a point that came along the way as we were building businesses together and doing all these things that I realized I am literally spinning a million plates like you said, I'm juggling all the balls. I'm homeschooling our kids. I'm running two businesses. I am pulling so much of the load here. And while I appear strong and capable to everybody in the watching world and on social media feeds, deep down inside, I was terrified that I was about to break, that it was all going to fall apart and that it was all going to be my fault. It felt like a house of cards and I was going to be the one that like knocked it over because of that unrest inside of me, I didn't know at that moment what I was seeking. I didn't know that it was a disconnected self. But as I began to go on the journey, what I was seeking in that moment was peace. I felt crazy. like (laughs) somebody just omit me to a hospital because it might actually be a vacation for my life right now. But I think just my upbringing, growing up in faith, just watching the women in my world shoulder and carry so much. I think I just learned it. It's not like somebody said it. And I think culturally we see women just do it all. Not only if you're going to be a woman and you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to work full time and have a career. You better figure out also how to have dinner on the table. And heck, why not like pull on homeschooling the kids because you can do it. I just kind of had this mentality that if I can do it, I should do it. So I just started saying yes and doing it all. And at the end of the day, Nathan didn't really ask me to do all those things. I just did it. I think I was seeking his approval. I think it was one thing after another, trying to be seen or noticed and wanting that validation that I was good. You know, I'm a good wife. I'm a good mom. I'm good at everything. And I just, I wanted that instead of being able to find it inside of me, outside of all the things that I was doing. So losing myself was a big, big piece of this and really wanting to regain that sense of self. What advice do you
0: have for women who reach that point of realization that they no longer recognize who they are anymore?
1: I would tell that woman she no longer needs permission from outside of her to take care of herself and to meet her needs. And I feel like we as women who take on all these things, we're living a life of all this doing in hopes that we can do enough to ask permission to have our needs met. And we were never created to do all these things so that we can then earn the right to be needy we have needs, we have real things that need to be taken care of. And if you are waiting for somebody on the other side of you to give you permission to do that, you might be waiting forever. And I can guarantee that's probably where the resentment comes from, because that person's probably so in the dark that you're waiting on their permission. Mm-hmm. And so it's unfair. We're kind of playing a game that we don't even know, usually subconsciously with other people doing things in hopes of getting affirmed enough or told, go take a break, or it's time for a vacation, or you should really stop or slow down. And when even people say that to us, it's like, no, 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 I really can't. I can't. So I don't know what it is that we've waited on and looked for, but I know it's outside of us. And so to that woman, I would say, you know, it, you know, inside of you that you need something different because you're not happy. You're not happy with your life. And you look around you and you've shouldered it on yourself and said, I should be happy. I should be so grateful. My marriage isn't that bad. He loves me. He provides for me. There's all these things we can look at and say, it's not that bad. And yet there's something inside that we long for, but you feel like you can't have it or you're waiting on somebody else to tell you it's okay to go after it. And I think the bottom line is when you feel that it's time to go after it, because I truly believe when we finally say yes to ourselves, the things come to us. We get connected with the right people. The doors start opening things start to align. It just does because we're finally ready and looking for it. Are there signs that people can pick up
0: on to know that this might be happening to them? And what are some things that they can do
1: to pull themselves out of that? Absolutely, I definitely from their signs. I think one of the biggest signs is you're unhappy, and you're afraid to admit your unhappiness because we've also this is one of the things we've probably been raised with, right, Estella? Is that we don't have a right to be happy, and there's a continuum here. But I do believe that happiness is an indicator because what we're doing is we're turning to all these things outside of us to try to fill that hole. So we're turning to doing, we're turning to I'm going to be a rock star mom and take the kids a million places and say yes to everything and be on the PTA board and all these things where at the end of the day, if we're honest, when we're quiet in our room or on our pillow at night, we're not happy. And so I think that's the first thing is there's an unhappiness. And the way you see unhappiness is are you constantly pinging on other people? Do you know what I mean? Like when you we do these little digs and these little pings where we're trying to get them to be different or be something else for us because we're just unhappy. And I don't even know why I don't like you right now. I'm just annoyed with you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I need you to change to make me feel better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I mean, maybe I'm the only one that does this.
0: (laughs) Definitely not the only one, but the other thing is they're not mind readers and vice versa. You're not a mind reader with what they're going through either. So unless they express it to you or you to them, it's just this perpetual cycle that keeps going. You're annoyed with each other. You're trying to throw hints at each other and it's just not going
1: anywhere. Right. Well, I think that's another indicator. So if we can listen to those things, it's like, wait a second. At the end of the day, when I do that, and I know when I'm in that space, I don't even like myself. There's this disdain or dislike of yourself. Like You don't even really like who you are when you lay your head on your pillow. You like what you do. You like all your achievements and you're proud of those, which is why you want to maybe elevate those, whether it's your kids or it's work or it's whatever. We like all that stuff. It's shiny and it feels good. And it feeds that dopamine hit that we need of like, look, I accomplished something else. And it's a high. We get this high off of it. But at the end of the day, we don't like how we are in our conversations, we don't like how we are in our relationships with the people that matter the most to us. And so when you're feeling that it's like red flags, there's warning, it's time, it's time to make a shift. And I think another thing is just the lack of peace we can choose peace. But if we're really honest with ourselves, when there is just this constant thread of anxiousness, nothing can satisfy it. And it doesn't matter how much money's in the bank or not in the bank. It doesn't matter how much food's in the cupboard or not in the cupboard. There's just no peace. And we can't quite figure out why. And then do you sometimes just like cry at night and you don't even know why? Mm -hmm. And so I think when we're in that place, Each of those things is inviting us to more, but we have grown so accustomed to run away from discomfort and pain. And I think one of the things that I don't even know how I learned it, but I know as a kid, it's been hardwired into me to not run from pain. I run towards it. I'm not afraid of it, whether it's in my athletics or in the things that I chose to do in school. It doesn't matter. It was like I tended to take the hard route because I wanted to become tenacious and resilient and learn how to persevere through hard things. And it's played out for me with this almost like whatever it takes attitude, whatever it takes, I am going to find a way through this. I'm not going to do it alone anymore in my life now. And so I look for other women who are kind of like wit women, whatever it takes women that are willing to do whatever it takes to get out of this unhappy, dissatisfied lack of peace place to where they can abundantly thrive and find their purpose apart from their marital status, find their purpose apart from all the amazing things that they do. And I think it just takes the first step of admission. That admission step for me was terrifying because it felt like I was standing naked in front of all of Facebook or Instagram. Like, oh my gosh, even telling one person or a counselor, just admitting I'm not okay. Things are not okay. And I want more because I had, I had qualified what I'm not okay looks like. And I was using everybody else around me as a comparison of no, 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 I'm really okay. Cause look at their life or it's not as bad as this. So therefore I can't say anything. We can gripe and complain about it and say that we don't like it and aren't happy, but if we're not willing to take the steps towards it, you're living the life that you're choosing. So you launched Wit
0: University this year. Tell us about this program and how people can sign up if they're interested.
1: Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. It feels like it is a, bit, a baby that I've been carrying for like seven years and it finally was birthed. <laughs> <laughs> It is an idea that I had years ago because of this mentality and just realizing there was a lot of women coming to me asking like, how do you make it through hard things, Jenny? It just seems like you have been thrown so many curveballs, but you just seem to get through them. I'm like, well, don't let me fool you too much. Um, <laughs> I still have to wrestle my way through them and it's messy and it's hard. I just have a different mentality. I'm going to get through this and I'm going to grow through this. I'm not going to just survive it. And I know that's a clear... But I really, truly want to thrive because I believe that's an inheritance I've been promised is abundant life. We are the ones that are stopping ourselves from it. We don't just get zapped with abundant life like we are the ones that have to take active steps moving towards it. And so I birthed it initially with a signature program that is really about helping women to get their life back and where they feel so out of control, they're juggling everything, just like we've been talking about Estella, doing it all, doing all these things for everyone else, and they've lost themselves. I've really created a roadmap for them to stop the unhealthy cycle that they feel like they're drowning. A lot of the women that have come through it are saying they have felt like they were suffocating or drowning, that they barely could get their head above water on a daily basis, but they just didn't know any other way. And so we really walk through like how to shift that dynamic so that they can become the person that they're happy with and that they love and really empower them to live their life differently. It has been such a blessing because I feel like I get to wake up every day and serve amazing women who have incredible purposes. They've just been spending their life right now, giving all of that to the people around them. And it's such a powerful realization, too, that we can help
0: ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like We don't need to rely on other people. Of course, we can ask for help, but we don't need to rely on other people for permission. We're allowed to be happy.
1: Yeah. I think that's what's so powerful about this first program I've launched. I'm planning to launch some other ones with it, but this first one is so powerful because it really is this concept of so many times as women, we are waiting on the we to decide that it wants to be healthy and whole instead of, wait, the me inside of the we can just choose. I can choose as an individual for the life that I want to live or don't want to live. And then I can let the chips fall where they may. I'm just telling you, as I am watching these women do the work and change the dance steps and become who they want to be, who they're happy with. And at the end of the night, instead of crying as they're laying their head on their pillow, they feel empowered and they feel hope and they feel excited to wake up to their life, even though everything on the other side of them isn't perfect and isn't all worked out. It is so empowering and it's so freeing. It's just this release of, I can only control me. I can't control anybody else in my world. And I've spent so much of my time, effort and energy doing that for so long. None of us want to admit that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because control sounds so ugly, but the truth is when you have things happen to you and your life feels so out of control, You learn ways of being with your environment to just grasp in some way to get something to feel stable. It's about security and safety and stability. And so we learn to control things. And even if that looks good, my form of control looked really good. I'm going to control you to grow. (laughs) (laughs) So I got away with it for a long time. You know, it was like really sneaky. It was like functionally dysfunctional. (laughs) I'm going to make you be somebody you don't want (laughs) to (laughs) be.
0: That always goes over well.
1: Oh, oh, it went over really well. (laughs) Don't try this at home, guys. (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Oh, my word. So yes, yeah, so Wit University, it's powerful. It's a group of women that are really going after it. It's a coaching program. So there is an element of the individual being able to work through the course material. And then we weekly meet. It is so powerful to have other women doing the work with you, having shared language, all being able to be in a space where vulnerability is welcomed. The mask come off. It's not about what you do and all the accolades and the titles behind your name. It's truly just about discovering who you are. And where can people go to learn more about this program? If they go to JennyRae.com, so J-E-N-N-I-R-A-E.com, they can read more about it there. Or I'm on social media, Jenny Ray Oates as well, Instagram and Facebook you mentioned Eden earlier. I want to talk about her
0: for a second and shout out to her. Yes. (laughs) A little backstory. You shared a video a couple months ago of her doing this massive painting. You mentioned that the ultimate goal of this journey was you wanted to find that wholeness piece. Mm -hmm. So in my 20s, I used to see TV shows or movies where they show people that have ginormous paintings or portraits of themselves in their living room or in their bedroom. And I always just thought, oh my gosh, that's just, so freaking obnoxious and pretentious. Why would people do that? (laughs) So a few years go by and I start learning about, you know, my own sense of self worth. I was that woman that was seeking external validation. And so I lost my sense of self because there were all these things that people were telling me what I needed to be and what I should be and I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And a lot of that was centered around my body image and what society and what people were telling me what it needed to be. Also, a lot of beliefs that I was carrying around that weren't my beliefs. They were other people's beliefs. And I had gotten to a point where I didn't like myself. I couldn't stand for many years to look at pictures of myself or in the mirror at myself. I've been through years of healing now and I've gotten to a point where I do have self-acceptance and I am happy with who I am. And when I saw that video of you sharing her painting, I wanted one for myself. It was just a celebration of how far I've come in my journey to loving myself and accepting myself just as I am.
1: Yeah, it's powerful, Estella. I cannot wait for you to see it. It's incredible. So her vision and how she sees things is just so powerful. So even how she sneak peek of how she's even drawn your face, she's kind of drawn one half of you a certain way, the part of you that's come into the light and into this authentic knowing of who you are. And then this other side, the side before where you were in the dark and you didn't know, and there's like this disheveledness and there's wounds. It is just going to be the coolest picture ever (laughs) of coming out of that place It's really powerful when you can actually put it into words. She just has a gift with this. So, thank you for even giving her the opportunity to paint this and to draw this for you. I cannot wait for you to get it.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And I just have to laugh because we had one phone conversation and then we had several text messages. But she sent me, she was like, Here are my brainstorm ideas. And she basically laid out the entire painting. And I'm like, This is brainstorming. And I'm like, How does a 16 year old
1: come up with this? It just blew my mind. I think it, Estella really speaks to how our pain becomes part of our purpose because, you know, you asked me earlier about how we processed with our kids. Had I denied the pain for myself of what Nathan and I were walking through, it would have shut Eden down. And because I allowed myself to feel and be honest, it allowed her to feel and be honest because our hurt and our sadness is really just speaking to the value of the thing we've lost or the thing we're afraid of losing. With her, there was so much sadness and so much hurt and so many questions. And as I watched her grapple and wrestle things out, the gift and the gold of all of it was the depth that it brought to her. She is 16 going on 30. I mean, this <laughs> child has so much depth inside of her. All of my kids do, and she just has this amazing talent to be able to express it. She's self-taught. Like she literally just got bored one day over Christmas break as a sixth grader and just started doing it. It's been so neat to just watch that develop. But I think. Now that she has the depth and the meaning and all the emotions around it, that's why I wanted her to draw this painting for me. She expressed all the different feelings of my journey. It's amazing to see how our pain can become even part of our purpose and part of our calling.
0: And my favorite part in seeing the painting that she did for you are the eyes, they're incredible.
1: Again, that's the depth of the eyes or the window to the soul. And she has this perspective of what is the eye actually seeing outside of it. And so that's how she paints it. It's like she paints these pictures within the eyes and then she paints around it. So not only what's it taking in, but what is that eye trying to express? And it's cool. It really touched me. I'm so glad you shared
0: those videos because when I saw it, something literally just clicked in my head and I was just like, I want that for myself. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said that.
1: That's awesome, Estella.
0: Thank you. So as we close out this episode, I want to ask you two last questions. Okay. What is your favorite compliment you've ever received?
1: Probably the favorite compliment I've ever received was more recent when Nathan and I started dating and he just looked at me and said, you are such a different person. And he said, I don't know if it's because I couldn't see it before and you've always been this, but I think it's also because you have done so much work and you've changed and you've grown. And that was the biggest compliment because up until then, so much of my worth and value was seen through what I did accomplishments versus just who I was. And I felt like he was really complimenting the core of who I'd become, not just all these things that I'd achieved. He was seeing you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I did all those things was I wanted him to see me. I didn't care about everybody else. It was him. He's my favorite person on the planet, you know, and I want him to see me, but for him to really see past all the doing and the accomplishments to who I had become was so powerful. What's a compliment you can give yourself? I think I can give myself a compliment of I'm really proud of you for doing it messy and being okay with the process over needing it to be perfect before just stepping out and doing it because that's been a big change for me too. So I've seen so much growth in myself and I've been really proud of that this last year of being okay with messy and it not needing to be perfect. That's
0: so powerful, too, because we see, especially social media is a big catalyst for this. We see the highlight reel of everybody, right? Sunshine and roses and rainbows and life isn't like that all the time. Generations before us tend to just shove all the messy under a rug, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: shove it into a closet. Nobody needs to see that. But what that does is it creates these deep traumas
1: that go unprocessed and they come out, like you were saying, sideways ironically, social media has been what has helped me in so many ways to grow through this. This is a positive spin on social media, because I'm pretty competitive. I play division one soccer, and you know, we'll do whatever it takes to win. And when I have a game, if you will, that I don't know if I can win, I don't want to play. And so (laughs) I didn't know how to win at the social media game, I knew I wasn't willing to sacrifice my soul to it. And I did not want to lose authenticity authenticity is one of my highest values. I fought so hard to be able to get to the place of being okay if my mask is off and being okay to just be me and liking me and not feeling like I had to manage people's perceptions of me, which social media is so much of. And so, so much of it, I detested. It was just felt gross and icky. And so it has just been such a process for me of, you know what? I'm just going to push live and I'm going to go for it. I get done and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to delete that. That was horrible. Like I messed up 3000 times. And I think I said, um, like 1500 times, you know, and it's just like, you know what? No. No as a practice for myself and authenticity, that's what came up and out and I'm just leaving it. And so it has been those little things for myself of just putting myself out there and you post something and you get two likes and no comments. And it's like, you know what, that's okay. Cause I'm not doing it for other people now and I'm not doing it for proof that I'm okay mm-hmm. and that I'm worth anything. I'm doing it genuinely to serve this woman who needs to know she matters. And that is the only reason I do it is to put things out there that can serve her and help her to know she's not alone. And if one person sees it and doesn't even like it, then it was worth it for me because I don't need it for my own self-worth anymore. So it's been such a wrestle even with social media, but it's helped me to get on the other side of this. Thank you for tuning in. I would love
0: to know what your favorite part of this episode was. Tag me at Finding Strength of Heart on Instagram or Facebook, or you can email me at heart at gmail.com. Until next time, take good care of you, and we'll chat soon.